Please have your Bible ready, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This story, this historical narrative is so cherished by Bible readers. It is dramatic. It involves real people in that time. And the very real event that is the bedrock of our faith, the resurrection of Christ. So here is the setting. Luke chapter 24 is sometimes called a resurrection narrative. Luke starts with the first day of the week scene. You remember the stone was rolled away and it was announced he is not here. Jesus arose from the dead. After the initial witnesses at the empty tomb, people are going home and talking about all of this and the word is spreading and Luke gives us this account in Luke chapter 24 starting at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in word and deed before God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is a precious gem in the gospel narratives. There's human interest and mystery and revelation and emotion. All of that is packed into this story. All of this surrounding that historical fact that is the bedrock of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus, raised by the power of God, never to die again, now at the right hand of God. If a first-time reader of this story were to inquire, what do we need to get from this? Obviously, first of all, this is part of the evidence Luke and the other writers provide of the resurrection event. But is there, is there more for us here? I'm going to call this a post-resurrection reunion. And I'm going to raise three questions. And as we use the text to respond to those questions, I promise something will emerge for us today. In addition to the feature, obviously, of historical evidence, witnesses of his resurrection. So, no in-depth exegetical analysis, phrase by phrase, just three questions, and we're going to rely on the text. Why was hope lost? That there was a loss of hope, Luke tells us in verse 21. Luke is quoting Cleopas. They are not aware Jesus is speaking to them, but they hear his question. What happened? And Luke quotes Cleopas. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. So these two disciples had hoped that Jesus of Nazareth was the Redeemer. After his death, even with the reports of his resurrection, they were confused and had lost hope. Look again at verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They lost hope because Jesus gives the answer in verse 25. They were slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Here I would have us mark this down in our minds. Their loss of hope could not be justified 
by the dramatic circumstances of the third day, nor the confusion around them in Jerusalem, or the witnesses, the evidence. Their loss of hope, Jesus said, was due to their slowness of heart to believe what had been written and spoken by the prophets. I'll come back to that later. Mark that, slowness of heart to believe what had been written and spoken by the prophets. My second inquiry, what, what should have been evident? These disciples not only had written an oral information from God through the prophets. They had immediate evidence in time through the witnesses of the resurrection. Let me say that again and then I'll read 22 to 24. These disciples not only had written an oral information from God through the prophets about Jesus and the resurrection, they had immediate evidence in time through these witnesses. 22 to 24. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the empty tomb. I mean, they were, well, empty would be right. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, so many witnesses. The Bible speaks of the validity of two or three witnesses. That's embedded in Old Testament law. In our courts of law today, you don't need two, three hundred witnesses. Eyewitness testimony is reliable if consistent. And the more you have, the greater the level of reliability and weight. So, start counting witnesses when you come to Luke 24. Let me go back to Luke 24 and start at verse 1. Count witnesses with me. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared... And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. We've got eleven plus now. And to all the rest... However, many all the rest would include. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale 
and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So you have at least three women who were named. Add Peter to that for four. Then in the conversation Jesus is having with the two disciples in verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I'm going to call this sufficient evidence that what the prophets said was fulfilled in Jesus. He was raised from the dead. Later in the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 witnesses of this miracle. So here's what we had. Why was hope lost? They had not paid good attention to the prophets. Beyond that, what should have been evident? Christ arose from the dead. Number three, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus illustrate for us? We turn our attention now back to what Jesus said in this exchange. And I'm looking at verse 32. He opened to us the scriptures. He opened to us the scriptures. Jesus didn't just ask them what had happened. He didn't just probe their minds and get them talking. Nor did he just condemn their slowness of heart and leave. It can be said he opened the Bible. He opened the Bible. And that this was the best response to these disciples is clear. Since it says their hearts burned within them. Can you... Can you just begin to imagine what it would have been like to hear Jesus teach the Bible? Someone might be inclined to argue that Jesus didn't need the Bible. He could just pronounce the truth. He was divine. But what happened here fits the pattern of Jesus' entire life in that he honored Scripture. He honored Scripture. You recall how many times Jesus would be speaking to someone on some subject. It would be apparent people in the audience had not paid good attention to Scripture, and Jesus would rebuke them by saying, you remember the question? Jesus would say, have you not read? Jesus wanted people to read and hear and learn the written word of God and then live under the authority of that word. Jesus wanted them to believe what the word of God said. He wanted them in this particular case to now reflect on what the prophets had said about the Messiah and the resurrection. Look at the effect of this in verses 33 to 35. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This narrative takes us to this truth, so profoundly important to our faith and hope. If this hadn't happened, we would be miserable people without faith or hope. I'm going to read to you about that in a moment. <clears throat> we might claim allegiance to Jesus and acknowledge how wise his teachings were and are. We might admire the history of his life and work, but it would be allegiance to the dead had this event not happened. If this hadn't happened, we would be miserable people without faith or hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to listen to a part of this. I mentioned this earlier where all of these witnesses are called to testify that Jesus arose from the dead. I'm going to start at verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul confronts his readers with the consequences. He concentrates on a number of consequences that are grouped together. If there is no resurrection, what then? Well, it would mean that Christ is dead. And if Christ is dead, our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. Dead Christians have no hope. On and on. So, this is not about being a little wrong. This is about being profoundly wrong. If there is no resurrection and therefore Christ is dead. Nobody on earth as, is, is as miserable and hopeless as we are if Christ, our Savior, is dead. But after pushing the consequences out, Paul is excited to come back and say in verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, this should impact us as it did those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Their hearts burned within them when they realized that they were disciples of a living master. And that all leads me to this. I have three things to say about the resurrection of Christ and our hope. In his resurrection, hope is personified. When Paul wrote to Timothy, here's how the letter opened. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, our hope. 
While it can be said Christ provides hope, another way to express that truth is Christ is our hope. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, all good men who served God in the writing that they did, but Christ is our hope. I love to read and study the Old Testament books of prophecy, and there isn't any doubt the prophets wrote about hope. But we cannot say Isaiah is our hope or Daniel is our hope. Christ is. Hope is personified in him. And our only hope is our response to him. In his resurrection, hope is amplified. I've got Romans 5 down here, verses 2 through 5. Actually, let me begin at verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we've also obtained (coughs) access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Faith and hope is connected to what? It's an awkward chapter division because what we're talking about here in verse 25 of chapter 4 is Jesus was raised for our justification. That amplifies the hope. His message was one of hope. For instance, in his discourse on the bread of life, John 6, 27, he spoke of the food that endures to eternal life. Likewise, in John 14, a passage we quote often, In my Father's house there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. Hope communicates that Jesus is alive. Our hope is a living hope. It's amplified. Number two, hope is verified. And by that I mean, as I face death and as you face death, what we naturally seek is confirmation, proof that we will be raised to glory. We have that, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians 4.14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. One more thing in conclusion. Slowness of heart to believe. Slowness of heart can destroy our hope. If we back away from good Bible reading and study and instruction, 
If we let the world and its concerns make us dull and slow of heart, one casualty will be our hope. If you are abiding in the Word, that not only preserves your hope, it becomes more precious to you with each step in your life. Each birthday, each event takes us toward that inheritance. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Because Jesus is alive, his followers are not alone, nor are we without hope. We have the Son of God as our partner in life every step of the way. Let's be standing as we sing.